As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Certainly Lewis, um, writing, for example, during the 1940s or very early 1950s, you know, in many ways echoed some of the cultural views of his day. Not always, I must make clear that he, he's quite independent of points, but certain unconscious bias, we might now say, is clearly there. But very often um, what Lewis is doing is in effect using a depiction of someone um, as a challenge to our, our conventional ways of thinking. Is there anything that you would like to ask C.S. Lewis? Well, <laughs> let me tell you, I, I, one of my worries is this. Um, in heaven, is there going to be a queue to talk to C.S. Lewis, a line of people that's about 100 miles long? <laughs> Hello and welcome to Unbelievable, the show that aims to get Christians and non-Christians thinking about the topics that matter to all of us. Thank you for joining us for this special webinar. I'm Ruth Jackson, and today we're going to be talking about C.S. Lewis, one of the most influential voices in modern Christianity. The 20th century British writer and lay theologian has profoundly impacted Christians all around the world and brought many atheists and agnostics to faith in Jesus. On November the 22nd, 1963, Clive Staples Lewis, Jack to his friends, died in Oxford, England. And as you're probably aware, his death was somewhat overshadowed by the assassination of the US President John F. Kennedy on the exact same day. However, today we want to take some time to reflect on C.S. Lewis's life and ask a really important question. 60 years after his death, is there an expiry date on C.S. Lewis's Relevant? I'm delighted that we're going to be joined by Professor Alistair McGrath, a C.S. Lewis scholar whose journey of faith in so many ways mirrors Lewis's own. Both men were raised in Northern Ireland, studied at Oxford University, and then they went on to become professors there. They also both came to faith from atheism slightly later in life. Alistair has written numerous books on Lewis, including a seminal biography, which I'm ho holding up by my head, so hopefully you can see it, called C.S. Lewis, A Life. I've had the great privilege of hosting the C.S. Lewis podcast with Alistair, which is a weekly show from Premier Unbelievable, and it explores C.S. Lewis's thought, his theology and his teaching. So every Monday we reflect on some of Lewis's ideas, his life and his influence. And we do also try and answer some of the trickiest questions that impact culture today. But first, to mark 60 years since C.S. Lewis's death, I spoke to Professor Alistair McGrath about whether Lewis is still relevant today. Alistair, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, it's great to be back. Thank you very much for having me. 
Now, Alistair, C.S. Lewis played a significant part in your own journey to faith. Would you share just a little bit of your own story and how Lewis played a part in that? Yes, I mean, sure, many people would tell a story like this. But when I was a teenager in Belfast, I was an atheist like Lewis. Um, and one of the major reasons for this was um, my feeling that science and religion simply were not compatible. I loved science. Therefore, it seemed to me religion was simply utterly impossible for me as an intellectual option. And also, of course, there are other reasons, like, for example, there was a lot of religious tension and violence in Belfast at the time. But I came to Oxford University to study chemistry, and I was really, by that time, beginning to think atheism, well, you know, might be right, but it's a bit dull. It doesn't really make all that much sense of things. And I was really beginning to have doubts about atheism. I was beginning to realise that atheism was really a faith. In other words, you believe there's no God, but you can't show there's no God. And eventually, after talking to lots of Christians and doing lots of hard thinking, I decided to become a Christian. And that's when things got interesting, because clearly I wanted to explore my new faith. And my many Christian friends were, wanted to be helpful, but actually they, they couldn't really answer my questions. Um, and they got a bit annoyed with me pestering them all the time. <laughs> and eventually one, I think in probably near desperation, said, oh, for heaven's sake, Alistair, why don't you try reading C.S. Lewis? who I'd heard of, but I hadn't actually read. And so I went to the local bookstore, bought a copy of C.S. Lewis's essays, and it's called The Astro Paper, and began to read him. And, well, uh, I liked what I read. I found it extremely helpful. It answered my questions. It gave me a big vision of what Christianity was all about. And to cut a long story short, I'm still reading C.S. Lewis today, 50 years later. <laughs> And obviously, you've read a huge amount of his works, possibly everything he's ever written, including a lot of his letters. You did a huge amount of research for, for your wonderful biography. Do you think there are any ways in particular that Lewis's views have influenced your own theological perspectives? Well, I think they are. They are. I mean, they're, they're there when you look for them. And I think what I need to say is that um, Lewis is like a very good conversation partner where, you know, I'm doing the talking, I know, but I'm listening. And sometimes Lewis helps me to see things in a new way or to give me a new line of inquiry. And so really, Lewis is a very significant influence on me, as he is on so many other people. And so I think the, the key thing I would say is that Lewis proved to be one of those very rare things, someone you read again and again and again, and who actually reshapes you. He kind of gives you new ways of thinking which are helpful. And there are very few other writers, Christian or otherwise, which actually do that for me. So he, he really is very special for me. Now, Alistair, I would imagine that you would say that 60 years after his death, Lewis is still relevant, and we'll get to those later. But before we do that, would you mind articulating perhaps some of the reasons that people may say that he's not relevant today or is out of date or is of his time? Yes, I think there are a number of reasons people would suggest that, in fact, saying, look, Lewis may have been great in the past, but actually it can't go on for a number of reasons. Let me tell you what those reasons are. The first of them is clearly a lot of Lewis's um, ideas and ways of thinking and also the kind of backgrounds he inserts in his novels and reflects in his letters. They belong in the past. You know, very often you, when you read Lewis, you feel there's a lost world here, that Lewis is speaking from the 1940s 
or 1950s and actually we aren't there anymore and therefore I think people do feel a slight sense of disconnection that we all know everyone's embedded in a particular period in history we understand that uh, but the time comes when you move on feel actually this is a past voice which doesn't really understand today's questions and that's the second point I really want to explore it's not simply Lewis is located in the past it's actually things have moved on quite significantly and therefore unless Lewis was some kind of prophet, Lewis would not really be able to engage with the questions that we are worried about. He might be able to give us a framework which we could then adapt and apply to our new situation, but he himself has, has not been through the kind of things that we're going through. And the final point to make is Lewis is white and male and heterosexual. And therefore that kind of way makes him a little bit problematic for some people in today's culture, feeling that that is kind of... Um, that's, that's, a kind, that's a kind of social category that, that really needs to be de-emphasized in an increasingly complex world. So there are some reasons for simply making the point that Lewis may have been great in the past, but it's not entirely self-evident he's going to continue to be so. You've definitely touched on this already, but what are some of the accusations that have been levelled against Lewis, apart from the fact that he's no longer relevant and he's from his from his you know from the particular era that he's writing and I guess significantly do you think that any of these accusations that have been leveled against him are legitimate concerns? Well hey one of the points that's very often made is that Lewis is rather masculine that actually he, he thinks as a man he writes as a man and therefore that, that might alienate half the human race if I can put it like that. <laughs> um, and it is actually a fair point if you think of Lewis I mean his mother died when he was you know really quite young um, and um, he was left with a brother and a father and he went off to boys boarding schools then into the British army then into an all-male Oxford college so you can see that actually his opportunities for developing friendships with women actually weren't really all that good um, so you can you can excuse Lewis for this but actually some people will still say look um, this is a problem for some people that Lewis is a man and therefore that Lewis unless he's able to kind of way reach beyond his own gender specificity isn't really going to be able to speak to quite a lot of people so I think that's another thing we need to bear in mind I'm, I'm not sure about this one I have to say actually uh, what people very often find is when reading Lewis he speaks to them as a person in other words, not a gendered individual, but simply a human being who's intelligent, interesting and engaging. And, you know, you can close your eyes and just imagine Lewis speaking to you, but he doesn't speak to you as if he were a man. As much more, he speaks to you as if he's an intelligent human being. And that may be why so many people can relate to him, because as Lewis is dead, um, in effect, what he was recedes into the past. And what he is for us now is what we read. So in effect, if you like, we are interacting with Lewis and making of him what we will. Um, and so in effect, this, this makes it a lot easier, I think, for Lewis to transcend these boundaries. What do you think are some of Lewis's works that really have aged well and do really stand the test of time? I think both Lewis's autobiography and Mere Christianity. So those are two works, Surprised by Joy and Mere Christianity. Surprised by Joy because it's Lewis simply telling a story. It's his own story. And actually, it's very, very easy to enter it. It's when Lewis talks about his own past, you say, well, he would. He's telling me his story, so I'm going to step into this. So in effect, the, the pastness of Lewis's past actually becomes an asset rather than a liability. 
With mere Christianity, there are points at which Lewis echoes social norms of the 1940s. That's very, very clear. But actually, they don't, they don't really jar. They don't really make you think, oh, dear. Um, it's much more a set of reflections and arguments. And actually, that has stood the test of time quite well. Both of these works were written in the early 1950s. And I think Lewis was probably as best then. Uh, really very creative, very alert to his own voice and position as a writer. And actually, I think each of them, in their own different ways, um, pre presents us with a Lewis who actually is relatively easy to read and understand. And actually, that explains partly, I think, their popularity. Now, Lewis was obviously a great thinker, brilliant apologist, and he spoke to people's minds and intellects, but he was also a very powerful storyteller. You know, you think of the Narnia Chronicles. He appeals vividly to our imagination. Do you mind sharing a few reasons why you think that Lewis is relevant to both our heads and our hearts? I guess perhaps we start with our heads. Why do you believe that C.S. Lewis still, 60 years after his death, appeals to our heads? Well, Lewis is, is a very rational thinker, but he's not rational in the sense of somebody who only uses reason. Lewis, in effect, understands the reason, feelings, imagination to be interwoven and interconnected, which actually is the way it is in human beings. There's no bit of us that, that, that is called reason. It's, it's, it's how we as human beings function. And we work together, reason, imagination, feelings, and Lewis does this. So he's a very rational thinker. And in fact, if you look at mere Christianity, he says, let's, let's take a, an experience we have, which is a, a sense of moral obligation. Well, where does that come from? Where does it take us? And he, he rationally reflects on this. And actually, his argument's quite good. I mean, you might want to critique it at various points, but certainly it gets a really good discussion going. Or again, if you look at Miracles, which is also a, quite a rational book, what Lewis is really doing here is saying, let's, let's see what we mean by the idea of a miracle and where it takes us. So very often Lewis is in effect appealing directly to our reason, even though he'll go beyond that. And one of the things I want to say is that there are many readers who appeal to the human reason and stop. That's it. Um, Lewis appeals to the reason and then adds to this. So in effect, what you find is Lewis, if you like, reaching a much wider readership than someone who simply writes imaginatively or rationally. Lewis has this rich ability to kind of way bring these things together. Now, are there any other ways? You've obviously articulated some there, but, but why 60 years after his death, Lewis still speaks very powerfully to our hearts and our imaginations? Well, he does. And I think one of the most interesting things is to ask this question. Lewis actually grew up in an age which is still quite rationalist, we might call modern. Um, why is Lewis so popular in the postmodern age? I think the answer is actually Lewis... Lewis, if you like, has different elements to him. There's the rational thinker, there's the imaginative thinker, there's a guy who tells wonderful stories. And the point is that Lewis simply breaks down these boundaries between modernism and postmodernism and all these things like post-rationalism is coming along now. Lewis, Lewis just does his thing and it works even in that changed culture. So my feeling is we're dealing with a slightly unusual character here in Lewis who actually um, is able to locate himself in a number of different mindsets and is found to be 
not simply acceptable, but rather helpful by people in those areas. So I think there are very few writers who I can think of who really are able to do this. I think, you know, people back in, you know, 60 years ago when Lewis had died, thought, right, this guy's days are numbers writer. He'll linger on for another five years, then that's it. Well, he surprised everybody. And I think we need to be very, very careful about writing Lewis off because Lewis is such a multifaceted writer, so rich that actually whatever lies around the corner in the history of Western culture, I've got a feeling that Lewis may actually connect up with that rather well. Do you think that Lewis still speaks today to some of the big cultural issues that we're dealing with? Uh, just as, a, as an example, perhaps gender identity or sexuality or technology, mental health. Does Lewis still speak today to some of these key hot topics? I think that's a really good question. I'm going to give you two answers. The first part of the answer is simply this. I think he does. Um, if you look, for example, at a science fiction trilogy um, or the book, The Abolition of Man, you can see Lewis, I think, reflecting very intelligently, almost presciently, in other words, um, about what technology is going to do to us and giving us some very, very good arguments. But here's a second point of my argument. It's not Lewis necessarily speaking directly to our modern situation. It's people who've read Lewis and can see, I can figure out how to use him to talk about this. In other words, uh, it's Lewis in partnership with others who can make the connections because we are right here now. We can see these things and we can see how Lewis can be used. So therefore, we use Lewis to speak to this and thus extend both his range and his reach. So that's one of the reasons why I think Lewis is so significant. There are so many people who like him and can see how to use him to speak to these questions you're talking about. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that abolition of man there, because I know that that's a, a book that lots of people talk about in light of kind of modern culture. And I suppose in light of the fact that we currently seem to be living in a rather subjective, relativistic culture, what relevance do you think this book has today? And I suppose what would Lewis think of, of, of where we are, where modern society now is, because I suppose in some senses it's even further along that kind of subjective relativistic culture than it was for, for his day in his time. Yes, I think that's a very important point. And certainly Lewis is very much alert to issues of personal identity. And one of the points he's making is how do we actually establish our personal identity? Is it to do with our identity as, for example, a citizen of a certain country or a person with a particular sexual orientation? Or is it, in effect, to do with who I would like to be, but I'm not yet? These are all very good questions. What Lewis is saying really is that we need to find something ultimate. We need to ground our identity in something that is both empowering and liberating and identity-giving. And of course, for Lewis, that was very much what the Christian faith was all about. What I think more Christian preachers need to discover is a way in which they can use Lewis to, in effect, affirm the importance of finding our personal identity and, above all, how relating to Christ and relating to God is a really important aspect of that. Because I think that's something that um, it's becoming increasingly important and Lewis does speak to this. And that's why we need people who know Lewis, know the situation and can see the connections that could be made. We need to take a short break, but we'll be hearing more from Professor Alistair McGrath very shortly. Don't forget to let us know what you think by emailing unbelievable at premier.org.uk. 
before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I've got a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. As you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time. And some of Tom's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask Anti Write Anything and Unbelievable going strong because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can today and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash unbelievable show. That's premierinsight.org forward slash unbelievable show. Thank you. Welcome back to Unbelievable with Professor Alistair McGrath, where we're asking 60 years after his death, is there an expiry date on C.S. Lewis's relevance? Alistair, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and insight with us. And thank you for agreeing to answer some of our questions live on this webinar. It's not too late. Please do keep your questions coming in. Um, stick them in the Q&A tab. But Alistair, we've had lots of great questions so far. So I'm just going to throw them at you if that's okay. Sure, um, please do. Uh, someone has asked a question that I'm sure resonates with lots and lots of people. They want to know if you have got a favourite C.S. Lewis book or quote or idea. Well, I think it depends on what day of the week it is. <laughs> it's because Lewis writes so much. And you know, if I'm doing one thing, I'll find one particular book helpful. If I'm talking to a different audience, I'll find perhaps a different book helpful. I think the important thing is that Lewis wrote so much that there's such a wide range of ideas or very helpful discussions that you can draw on them. The ones I keep coming back to are Mere Christianity and Surprised by Joy. But the great news is that, frankly, there's just so much there. We have an embarrassment of riches that you know, you're all, you're spoilt for choice. Now, how often can you say that about a writer? <laughs> if I really, really had to push you, if you could only read one book for the rest of your life of C.S. Lewis, what would it be? I think it might be mere Christianity. I'll tell you why. Because um, Lewis there was writing under constraints imposed by the British Broadcasting Corporation for these broadcast talks during the Second World War. And Lewis was given 1,200 or maybe 1,800 words, and that was it. And he had to put an awful lot of thought into a very short space. And he really showed himself able to really work under those limits very, very effectively. So I think it's a, a wonderful example of very concise, very effective use of argument and words. So to me, it's a masterpiece in many ways. And so that's probably the one I'd point to as being the best. I don't know if anyone else has any thoughts on what their favourites are. I'd love to hear your thoughts. But Alistair, I'm going to go with some more questions. Um, someone has asked, in the last battle in the Narnia series, there are some terms which could be read as racist. Today, we quickly cancel writers, statues, etc. of the past who we reread as racist, etc. How should we process this with Lewis? Now, Alistair, I know we talked about this a little bit in the series that we did on the Narnia series on the C.S. Lewis podcast, but this is a really great question. So would you just share some of your thoughts about the, the sort of racist terms or, or potentially racist terms within some of Lewis's work? 
Well, I think this is a very fair question. And certainly Lewis, um, writing, for example, during the 1940s or very early 1950s, you know, in many ways echoed some of the cultural views of his day. Not always. I must make clear that he he's quite independent of points, but certain unconscious bias, we might now say, is clearly there. But very often um, what Lewis is doing is, in effect, using a depiction of someone um, as a challenge to our, our conventional ways of thinking about this. In other words, you know, in some of his novels, for example, and The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, um, uh, Lewis depicts someone like Eustace Scrub in very negative ways. But in effect, it is to change our mind. You begin by thinking very negatively about Eustace, then you feel sorry for him, and then you, you're delighted when he becomes somebody much better. So I think there's a real problem here. And I think that we just have to say that Lewis does have to be read with this changed cultural context in mind. I can do that because I'm, I'm, I'm a historian, so I'm so used to um, stepping into the past and realizing there's a different world there. But I think what we have to say is that that's one of the reasons why I think some of Lewis's writings may prove problematic for some people today, because they do echo values from the past, which we now think are not simply past, but actually are very unhelpful indeed. So, you know, I think we all have to make up our own minds on this one, but there, there is an issue there. Thank you, Alistair. And um, we've got another one around young readers. Obviously, the Narnia Chronicles were written for children. Um, but this person is asking, how can we make sure that C.S. Lewis's work appeals to younger readers or seekers? Well, I think one thing we, we can do is, is use the movies. I, I was very impressed by the movie version of The Lion, The Witch and the Wardrobe. Uh, which I saw again recently, in fact, and I just, it just, what we find here is that very often people will see the movie and then think, hey, I want to read that. Just like, you know, people see the Tolkien movies and say, hey, I want to read the book. So I think that we can say that it's not necessary to begin with the book, that actually sometimes um, a, a movie about Lewis or a, a version of some of the Chronicles of Narnia actually makes you think, you know, I'm going to read that. That sounds rather good. And everyone knows the movie doesn't do justice to the novel, but very often the movie can be a way into the novel. So I, I think that's one way in which you can do it. The other thing you can do, of course, is if you've been deeply moved or affected by one of those books, is to talk about the difference it made. Because very often, that's what gets people reading this to say, hey, hey, they got something from it. I'm going to try it myself and see what I get from it. Alistair, I guess in many ways you sort of mentioned this it, when you're referring to the movies, but obviously lots of us have kind of moved into the digital space that, you know, it's what we're doing now. We're recording over Zoom. Um, and in many ways, Lewis was ahead of his time, wasn't he, in the way that he engaged with modern media? I mean, do you think this is part of how he continues to maintain his enduring relevance even 60 years after his death? Well, I think it is. I think there are two points to bring out here. One is that Lewis's um, works are widely discussed on the web. Um, and very often that that's the way in for a lot of people. They, they read discussions of Lewis and say, hey, I'm going to follow through on that. That sounds really interesting. But the other thing is just that very often um, those discussions of Lewis are not simply pointing you to Lewis. They are, in effect, witnessing to Lewis, if I can put it like that. They're saying, I find this guy really interesting. Here's why. And very often someone who, who has a problem 
reads a, a piece by an author online who's talking about how Lewis helped them with exactly that problem and say, right, I'm going to read Lewis and see how he helps me. So I think if, if I can put it like this, the, the, the modern digital age is really extending Lewis's reach, especially in nations where the governments are not particularly friendly towards Christianity, where in effect you're able to smuggle Lewis in, so to speak, um, through electronic means. That you mentioned the smuggling Lewis in there. Someone has asked whether there is anyone who who uses C.S. Lewis really well in the writing that they're doing now. Well, I think it's it's a very difficult question to answer because in many ways, um, Lewis's influence is um, quite often indirect in the sense that he's showing how you can combine uh, an appeal to reason, to the imagination, to human feelings. And actually, it's been so successful and so influential that there are many people now who are doing precisely this, who aren't aware really that, that Lewis lies behind this, this new interest in these things. So I think it, it is really quite an important point to make. But certainly, I, I would say say that um, looking in particular at um, a lot of American preaching in recent years, I've seen a growing emphasis um, in saying it's not just about understanding Christianity, it's about connecting up with it, it's about in effect letting it appeal to your imagination, letting it shape the way you feel about things. And so I think that there's been a, a recognition that actually Lewis is talking sense here, that in many ways he's 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 giving us a way of showing that Christianity is not just about thinking. It's about transformation. And that's really important because of the rise of this thing called deconstruction, where very often Christians begin to lose a sense of what difference their faith makes. And Lewis, I have to say, makes it really easy to reconnect people with the deeper meaning of the Christian faith, seeing it as something far more than just believing certain things to be true. But rather, here are these things which, because they are true, they are transformative, they make me a new person, they give me hope, and so on. So I think there's a lot there for preachers to, to, to latch on to. Well, and I guess on that note, someone has asked, is there a budding C.S. Lewis today, do you think, Alistair? Is there a kind of a modern day C.S. Lewis or is that just sacrilege to even I make think, the comparison? Um, I mean, that question is very often asked. And I have to say there's only one C.S. Lewis, really. Um, there may be people who are able to replicate part of what Lewis um, achieved, but actually bringing everything together is very, very unusual. What I think we, we might ask is, you know, are the people who are in effect moving Lewis's approach ahead? In other words, basing themselves on Lewis and in effect just saying we can we can we can do some very interesting things to connect up with a culture which is very different from what um, Lewis himself knew. And that's one of the reasons why I personally think Lewis has an ongoing history, why he's going to continue to be relevant, because there are so many people who are in effect taking Lewis and adapting him to um, new situations. The example I would give is the late Tim Keller in New York at, at Redeemer Church, where um, Keller was very, very good at adapting Lewis to a, a Manhattan audience. He shortened him in some ways, he expanded his vision in some ways, but he found that Lewis was ideal when adapted in some ways to connecting up with a very sophisticated uh, Manhattan audience. And I think there are many more who could do very much the same thing. And the important thing is to encourage people to be creative about Lewis. In other words, saying, look, here's what Lewis did. Now, let's build on that and make it clear we're doing that. But that extends his reach. 
It's interesting you mentioned Tim Keller there, because I know he used to say that if he didn't know what to say, he would quote C.S. Lewis and that that would be his sermon. And someone has actually asked a question here, which I think is is potentially related. Is there a danger that Christians overuse Lewis? I'm not saying that Tim Keller overused Lewis, but is there a danger that Christians overuse Lewis by shoehorning Lewis quotes into sermons and social posts? And do we, by doing this, rob his words of their power by overuse? Well, the short answer is yes, this is a real danger. I mean, I have um, one or two friends who've told me that the, they, they use Lewis a lot in their sermons. And very often he knows the congregation saying, oh, no, here comes the Lewis quote. <laughs> he can't break the habit. He's kind of become addicted to C.S. Lewis. I think that um, you can get round this, I think, by, by, in effect, using Lewis's ideas but not necessarily his words. And, and you know, so you don't pepper your sermons with C.S. Lewis quotes. What you're doing is you are making sure that you adapt Lewis to your audiences. So that you're always speaking to the audience and weaving in ideas which you get from C.S. Lewis. But that's more likely to help your audiences because it's going to make them think two things. Number one, that um, we, we know Lewis lies behind that sermon we've heard, but actually connects up very, very well with thoughts we've had. And secondly, well, it, it, that was such a good sermon. I'm going to to read Lewis and see how he might help me take this further. So I think there are ways you can do this. But your questioner is absolutely right. There is a danger that simply preachers cite C.S. Lewis and people say, oh, no, not again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess this is actually quite related as well. Um, someone has asked, are there any writers today that you've discovered who are able to capture that Lewis-esque ability to make sense of reason and point to Christianity? I mean, you mentioned that if you're a good preacher and you're using Lewis well, that you can do that in your sermons. But do you think there's anyone writing that is able to do that? I guess one of the things we talked about um, already is is the difference between the imagination and the reason and Lewis was able so beautifully to capture both but who else is doing that and, and how are they doing it and I guess I'm just going to add a little bit how do we make sure that we're doing that in our own um, conversations in in our sermons in our writing how do we capture both the imagination and the heart well, that's a very head, good sorry. question. Um, a good example would be Francis Spooford in his book, Unapologetic. Now, that's not well known in the States, I'm afraid, but um, he, he's a British writer, a, a very able novelist. And he wrote a book called Unapologetic, which is about how Christianity makes emotional sense. And of course, that's one of the themes in what Lewis is writing. And actually, it connected up very well with the secular audience here in Britain. So, you know, there are people like that who are doing this. But I think, if I may say so, I think that the major impact really is on preaching in churches at the moment. But we do need to think about taking this further. Are there, um, you know, at big American seminaries, for example, classes on how to write novels, which in effect communicate the Christian faith? How, what are we doing about, um, you know, using the, the the form of novels to, in effect, um, bring out what Christianity is and show how it connects up? I think there's some really um, good questions to ask here. And I'm sure that, um, you know, my listeners will, will think, oh, I think I know somebody who's done that kind of thing. I'm sure you're right. But at the moment, we need more people like that, I'm afraid. Um, this is a great question. Is there anything that you would like to ask C.S. Lewis? Well, <laughs> let me tell you, I, I, one of my worries is this. Um, in heaven, is there going to be a queue to talk to C.S. Lewis, a line of people that's about 100 miles long? You know, because there'll be so many people saying, you know, oh, tell us what happened to what happened to 
Lucy or something like that, you know. And um, I think one of the key points to bring out here is that um, um, I, I would love to have a private conversation with Lewis, but that would just be to satisfy me. <laughs> um, and I think Lewis does deserve his eternal rest, if I can put it like that. But I think that the main thing is this. Um, Lewis is so rich that you can't avoid wanting to ask questions. Um, you know, sometimes it's the way he writes, sometimes it's what he writes, but Lewis is one of those people who really draws you in and you can't avoid thinking, I wonder about that. And I'd love to ask him that. And we, from Lewis's correspondence, we know he got lots of letters like that in his day and age and actually seems to have replied to most of them, which is very helpful, I think. <laughs> Um, someone has said I'm still getting to know C.S. Lewis's books I've read Mere Christianity and loved it do you have any thoughts on what I should read next well I think you might like to ask yourself you know what was it about Mere Christianity I liked so much I think that's one question Um, I I think that um, Lewis is very very good at just showing how much sense Christianity makes um, but for a lot of people, they would say, well, look, I've, I've looked at Lewis in mere Christianity and I want to know more about how Lewis discovered Christianity and you know, what was it brought into faith. And of course, Surprised by Joy does answer that question. And you might find that very helpful. And also when Lewis moved to Cambridge University to, as professor of uh, Renaissance, medieval and Renaissance English, he began to develop a slightly different style of writing. Instead of, in effect, trying to reach beyond the church, he, he felt he ought to write about Christianity for those inside the church to deepen their faith. And that's why books like The Four Loves are so important because they're written to encourage Christians. So I think you've got a rich choice here, but I personally would suggest Surprised by Joy because that tells the story of how Lewis came to become a Christian. And actually there's some beautiful quotes in that uh, uh, book, which you'll really enjoy. And also it helps you to understand why Lewis enjoys stories so much and enjoys writing so much. We need to take a short break, but we'll be hearing more from Professor Alistair McGrath very shortly. Don't forget to let us know what you think by emailing unbelievable at premier.org.uk. Welcome back to Unbelievable with Professor Alistair McGrath, where we're asking 60 years after his death, is there an expiry date on C.S. Lewis's relevance? Thank you, Alistair. There's a question here, which again, I get quite a lot in the work that I do with young people. They said, can I ask more about Lewis's response and reason to questions of gender and sexuality and science? Would love to be able to speak better into these questions today or point people to Lewis's books specifically. I mean, we did cover that a little bit when we were talking about the Space Trilogy, again, on the C.S. Lewis podcast. But Alistair, would you just share some thoughts on that question around gender, sexuality and science, please? Well, Lewis doesn't really talk very much about these specific questions. But what I want to suggest is he gives us a toolkit to enable us to do this. And um, by, in effect, um, showing us how we can discover our true identity through the Christian faith. But that identity varies from one person to another. I think that that is really quite helpful in beginning to um, help us think through where we might find our proper place in this world. But I think what I'd have to say on some of these questions is that actually in providing an answer to some of these questions, I'm going way beyond Lewis. I have to be very honest about that, that actually Lewis, in effect, is not giving us um, you know, answers to every question we ask. And sometimes we have to say, well, look, um, Lewis doesn't answer that question. Let me try and figure out what he might say, or let me, let me read somebody else in order to answer that question. So I, I would just want to 
caution people here that actually don't expect Lewis to answer every question. He's very good on some questions. Others, he might step back and almost say, look, um, talk to somebody else, especially something that's arisen through radical cultural change. Because Lewis actually is, is, is quite conservative culturally, and sometimes it's difficult to kind of work out how to transfer him in the 1940s to where we are 80 years later. Well, speaking of speaking to people, I mean, he did speak to lots of people in his own story of conversion. And someone has asked a question specifically about that. They've said, do you, does anyone know who influenced Lewis in his own discovery of faith and theology? Well, we we know enough for me to be able to point to some people. There's a very interesting passage in Surprise by Joy, in which uh, Lewis says, and I quote, a sound atheist has to be very careful about his reading because there are traps everywhere. And what Lewis meant by that is that you will read a book and, and it will say something to you and you suddenly realize, hey, this, this God question is really interesting or that's really important. That, that suggests my atheism is a bit more vulnerable than I thought. And that was Lewis's experience. Who helped him? Well, um, poets like George Herbert were really important for Lewis. He was a professional literary scholar and found uh, George Herbert really important in showing how Christianity connected with human life and human experience. He also read George MacDonald, who, whose sermons um, were quite good, but his children's novels were even better in kind of way, helping you to understand the difference that belief in God makes and also why the imagination is so important. He also read Dante, the very great um, Italian poet of the um, 14th century. And again, he found that really exciting in, in, in understanding Christianity gives you a vision of life, not simply a set of ideas about life, but, but a vision that invites you to step into it. So we do know something about the people who influenced Lewis, but I have to say to you, Lewis may well be influenced by people like George Herbert and others, but actually he, he, he found his own way of weaving all these together to give um, his own distinct way of, of describing and commending Christianity. Thank you, Alistair. Um, someone has written, for me, the most profound moment in the Chronicles of Narnia is Reaper Cheap, the, the little mouse, and the giant wave, and his total faith in crossing over. What moment is the most profound for you? I think that's a very, very good question. And I completely understand why you found that moment very, very helpful. And, and there are many moments, I think, like that. I think one of the most moving moments uh, for me is when Aslan is killed, the kind of deep sense of grief and sorrow which Lewis describes so beautifully, um, you know, particularly with uh, Lucy. You know, it, it's very, very moving, and you know, it, it it really helps you to understand how, how very often as Christians we we think about the death of Christ in rather academic or intellectual ways, and and don't really have that emotional engagement. This is the Son of God who died, who suffered for me. That's that's very powerful. So I think actually that that often speaks to me, but. What I think we'll find is everyone listening to our conversation will say, oh, that's right, but the, but this is the bit I really like because there's so much there to find. It's interesting, lots of people have mentioned Narnia, and I suppose for a lot of people that is their first foray into C.S. Lewis. It certainly was mine. If people are wanting to engage with Lewis for the first time, would it be the Narnia Chronicles that you would recommend or are there other books that you would perhaps suggest? Um, some of his later novels are, I think, very helpful. But I think 
One of the things I find about the Narnia Chronicles is, although they are written as children's stories, um, adults get a lot out of them. And I have to say, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, especially if you haven't read it before, uh, is very, very powerful, um, beautifully written, um, and really draws you into that narrative. It raises all these questions about um, what is truth, who do we trust, uh, what is life all about, but does it in a very, very um, interesting and and um, engaging way. So I think I'd have to say that, um, you know, for me, the Chronicles of Narnia is a good starting point. But what I would say is you may well find this leads you into other works. So there's a lot there to discover. Alistair, I know you've already talked about this a little bit, but someone has asked, can you tell us a little bit more about your own personal conversion and how you discovered C.S. Lewis's books? Yes, I'm very happy to do that. I mean, my own background is that of a scientist at at high school who um, believed that science made it impossible to take God seriously and arrived at Oxford University to study science. Um, But my atheism was beginning to become a little bit more fragile, a little bit more um, uncertain as I began to realize there were an awful lot of questions I couldn't answer as an atheist. And also I began to meet some very intelligent Christians, including many who were scientists who really knew what they believed and could answer my questions. But then when I'd embraced Christianity, um, I needed better answers to some questions and my student friends couldn't give them. So eventually they said, I think really to <laughs> to get me away from them was simply, why don't you try reading C.S. Lewis? I, I hadn't really, didn't really know very much about C.S. Lewis, but uh, I thought, right, I'll go and buy a book by him. I did. And I just found that he he enchanted me, that he, he gave me this wonderful vision of Christianity. I thought, I want to read more. And that's what happened to me. I just found him to be wonderful. He is my my traveling companion, my sole friend. And uh, I keep reading him and seeing things I missed on earlier readings of Lewis. So I think I have to say that uh, I'm not typical in this, but uh, I am an example of someone who really found that Lewis seemed to speak to me, answering my questions in a way that many other writers didn't. And maybe it's just me, or maybe that's uh, an indication of just how significant Lewis is. Alistair, we're nearly out of time, but I would love to know, you have obviously done lots of research into Lewis, you've read loads of stuff, you've done lots of seminars, interviews, things like that. What are some of the best questions that you have ever been asked about C.S. Lewis? And is there anything that's really kind of surprised you or taken you back or been a, a little bit unusual? I think when I was writing my biography of Lewis, um, you know, I just uh, thought I'm going to be very honest here. If, if there's something bad, I'm going to say it because I'm going to tell the truth. But actually, I have to say, I didn't really find very much that was bad at all. I mean, I think that Lewis is a very interesting figure. I think the kind of questions about Lewis that remain really important are actually quite interesting academically. For example, um, how did Lewis make the transition from simply believing in God to believing in Christianity? Now, we know part of that answer, but it's very clear to me there's some stages in the argument we don't know. And so I'm very much hoping that we'll find something by Lewis that might actually tell us that. Or again, um, you know, we, we need to know more about what motivated Lewis to write Narnia. Now, he does give us some indications, but again, they're not completely consistent and there's clearly more behind this. And again, I wonder if somebody might find in perhaps in some folder in the Bodleian Library, (laughs) a a note by Lewis saying, here's why I decided to write Narnia. That'd be really helpful. But I I can live with those questions, but it it would just bring added depth to my understanding of what Lewis was doing.
Alistair, finally, given that it is the title of the webinar, do you think there is an expiry date on Lewis's relevant? Will there ever be a time when he is no longer relevant, do you think? Well, Lewis himself thought he was going to expire quite quickly, um, and that's been shown to be wrong. I think that the answer is really that Lewis has inspired so many people that two things are arise from this. Number one, there are a lot of courses and books and videos about C.S. Lewis, which means actually he's much more accessible now than he was 50 years ago. That's the first point to make. And secondly, those who've read Lewis can work out why he's so interesting and tell people about it. So if you like, there's now a sort of tradition of handing on. I enjoyed Lewis. Why don't you read him as well? So in effect, Lewis's existing readers are creating a new generation of readers. So I, my personal feeling is that Lewis still has at least another generation um, to go. What happens after that, I don't know, but certainly Lewis has achieved what I think is the most interesting and most important test for any writer, which is to find an audience in the generation after he died. And that's quite an achievement. Alistair, I am afraid that is all we've got time for today. But thank you so, so much for your time. And um, all that's left is for me to wish you a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Well, thank you. And the same to you and everyone who's listening. It's been wonderful doing this. Thank you so much for having me. Do check out our weekly C.S. Lewis podcast with Professor Alistair McGrath. You can visit premierunbelievable.com or listen on your preferred podcast platform. And if you enjoy it, please do consider rating and reviewing the show because it helps more people to find it. Thank you for listening to Unbelievable with me, Ruth Jackson, and see you next time. Thank you for joining us on Unbelievable, the show that aims to get you thinking. We would love to hear your thoughts. Do get in touch. You can email us at unbelievable at premier.org.uk or leave a comment on our Twitter account at unbelievablefe or on the Premier Unbelievable Facebook page. And do check out our website, premierunbelievable.com. Registering there gives you access to all of our web content and our newsletter, through which you can gain access to hours of exclusive bonus content. That's premierunbelievable.com. And if you register or sign up for our newsletter there, you will automatically be entered into our competition to win a free book. If you enjoy listening to Unbelievable, please do consider rating and reviewing it on your podcast platform. Thank you for listening and see you next week.